The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Here to set you free. How you doing? I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy and talk. Thank you for listening to us everywhere on radio, on stream, iHeartRadio, tune in, everything I don't say, uh, watching us, whether it be on X or Facebook or LinkedIn or YouTube. Uh, just to really appreciate uh, the audience that we have. We feel that you're like family to us. Somebody else we feel like family to us is the USW, the United Steelworkers, and are more than pl- uh, happy to have with us. It's a pleasure to honor with us Amber Miller. She's director of the USW's Rapid Response Department. Now, this is a nearly 30-year tradition of member-driven, issue-based, nonpartisan legislative activism. Now, Amber has been a proud second-generation steelworker since 1997. She began her career at Chase Brass and Copper in Northwest Ohio. More than a pleasure to have her here on the show. Check out the USW's website. They're more than just steel, as you'll hear in this interview today, usw.org. On Twitter and Instagram, follow them at Steelworkers. Amber, thank you for joining us, unless you prefer me to call you Ms. Miller. Oh, no, Amber's fine. And thank you, Leslie, for having me uh, today. We really appreciate um you know, all the information that you you bring forward and on behalf of workers all over the country. Well, you know what? We wouldn't have the life that we have when we look around. I mean, you know, so many things were, you know, built by, you know, that very hardworking middle class for generations. Um, I come from sheet metal workers, both my father's father and my mother's father uh, father were sheet metal workers. Um, and uh, my great grandfather, actually, my grandfather, um, it has on his birth certificate, father's occupation, Teamster. Because uh, years ago, if you were a union worker, whatever union, you know, occupation, USW, things have changed a bit, you know, over time. Uh, but hard work and people uh, deserving, uh, you know, what they earn with that work, to me, that hasn't changed. So uh, I'm more than glad to do it and really happy to have you with us today. You know, um, when we look at Washington over the years, things, you know, have changed a great deal. It, it used to be, you know, somebody would have a meeting you know, could, you know, say, look, I can't necessarily make any promises, but, you know, I'll try and lean in your direction. And we had that on both sides of the aisle, right, Democrat and Republican. But now we have these huge corporations that dole out millions, arguably billions in some companies uh, situations to pay people to literally, you can see them, (laughs) you know, hang out of representatives and senators offices. Um, They have gifts. They have checks. Um, and, and, and in a sense, these big corporations are buying votes, and that hurts uh, men and women uh, like you and me. So this is no secret, right? Giant corporations, they have high-priced lobbyists that represent their interest in Washington, D.C., which doesn't necessarily represent our interest. They do it in state houses throughout the states across the country as well. Um, and with all this money, you know, there's a reason, so, you know, what, what, we have an average of 46% of people that vote in a general election. That's like the largest turnout. We have less than half of our uh, people in this country who are able to vote, vote 
And I think that's because a lot of people think my voice doesn't matter. My vote doesn't count. My vote doesn't matter, right? I'm just an ordinary person. I want to be heard. Nobody's listening. Nobody hears me. One of the things I love about what we're going to talk about today, and that's the USW's rapid response program, is union office workers, uh, unions offer workers, excuse me, the opportunity with this program to completely turn the tables on that. You have ordinary people who are heard and ordinary people who are also listening within the program. And it makes a real difference, certainly within unions, but it also makes a real difference in the political process. So first off, tell us about rapid response, how it came about, and what kind of difference it can make. And we'll and we'll do a deep dive into the program in a bit. Sure. Thanks, Leslie. Yeah, um, this program is, is getting very close to being about 30 years uh, for the steelworkers. Um, sometimes I know Leo Gerard, our, uh, one of our past presidents, uh, international presidents, used to refer to us uh, as the 800-pound gorilla that would, would come into D.C. because our members came in, um, you know, empowered with education on the issues and around the issues and just feeling like they could raise their voices uh, to legislators. So, you know, the program actually started um, – down in uh, Ohio by, by a couple of brothers who were, ran a little bit of an experiment, actually. And they, they decided to see if, if they got more traction standing outside of a gate, doing a gate collection for a brother who had been burnt, or if they would get more traction um, actually splitting the work site up and assigning, people's, uh, assigning people at different parts of the work site to have one-on-one conversations with why. They needed to take that action. And overwhelmingly, it worked because we know that when we have a one-on-one conversation with somebody and we really, you know, help them understand why an issue personally impacts them, they're more likely to take action. So that's really what this program is all about. And what we do is we train our folks to uh, set up teams, uh, basically internally organized uh, networks of communication within their work sites. And we send them information, and it's all, you know, issue-based uh, around things like collective bargaining rights, health and safety in the workplace, retirement security, um, you know, healthcare, all, all the things our members really, really, it's the whole reason they're in a union, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so those are the things that we, that we, uh, we work to do, and, and we do it in pieces. We first educate them on the issue because we don't want people feeling like they're walking in blindly into something. And then we ask them to take some kind of action. You know, maybe it's uh, making a call to their representative about a bill that we're either supporting or opposing or in need of a co-sponsor for, or, you know, it's signing a petition or filling out a postcard or going to a rally or, you know, something, anything like that, some kind of action. And then what we do at the end is follow it up with feedback because we want to make sure that if that member, you know, took the time to do something, to contact a legislator, that we tell them how it turned out, you know. The beautiful thing about this program is it's nonpartisan. So, you know, often, oftentimes our members, they don't, you know, they shy away from some of this stuff because unfortunately we all know that right now things are pretty politically divided in this country. So we try to take that part out. And let them know that, like, look, these folks have already been elected. That process is over, but they're in office and they work for us. And honestly, if we don't tell them what to do, somebody else is going to do that. 
So that's kind of the crux of the program in a nutshell. Well, what I love about this program is this is really what we all should be doing, right? Not just union workers and not just unions, you know, but everybody should be doing this. Um, do, do the members see the fruits of their labor and feel like they're more involved in not just the political process, but in legislation that directly impacts them? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, a lot of times um, one of the things we like doing is is actually bringing members in to even testify at hearings when necessary on, on certain bills or regulatory or policy issues, uh, you know, so they get to tell their story because we tell them, you know, like, look, like you mentioned before, there, there are all these lobbyists that come into D.C. And yes, they have money, they have the means, but we have the voices, you know, and lobbyists don't vote, right? Constituents vote. And to be honest, like all electeds fully understand that they're, their, their job is to get reelected, right? So, you know, when we remind them that we are watching them as constituents and we're paying attention, they are more likely to listen to us. So our members get very excited, I think, when they they decide to get involved in, in the program and, and um, you know, really reach out to their legislator and then they get an answer back, right? Um, or they see that, hey, they didn't listen to me. And maybe potentially that that could lead into making a different decision when it does come election time. Absolutely. Um, how much time do we have uh, to break, Mark? Uh, I, I thought I saw you. Oh, OK. We, uh, we have a, a I'm going to ask you a quick question. Less than a minute okay. uh, answer. Um, I I know that you use education and I, I love that, you know, as the first prong in a sense of this program. And, you know, because you're not only educating the people, but you're educating the legislators, because I think there are a lot of legislators I know when they see these men and women show up at their door or hear them on the phone when they make a phone call. Um, you know, they can't just pass legislation thinking nobody's watching. You you guys are going, we're watching. Absolutely. Absolutely. And look, you know, oftentimes, oftentimes these lobbyists come in and when they speak to them, it's it's statistical. It's dehumanizing. They try to make it that way. What we try to tell our folks is that when you contact your legislator, you are making them see a human face behind a decision that they're about to make. You know, whether whether that impact has something on your community, your family, your work site, whatever it may be. But now they have to see that face that, you know, whatever right, wrong or indifferent decision they make, there is there's a person behind that. And so this is really the, the piece where we just story tell. And, you know, it works. It really does yeah. work. We've had legislators, you know, go and, and, and speak off the House floor to one of our members' stories. You know, We're going to talk so about that when we come back. We're going to talk about something that happened in Ohio that does just what Amber spoke about. We'll be back in just a moment. Leslie Marshall and Amber Miller. Ms. Miller is director of the USW's Rapid Response Department. We are talking with her today about the power of ordinary people, and we're specifically talking about the USW's Rapid Response Program. Check out the website for USW, usw.org, on Twitter and Instagram. Follow them at Steelworkers. Amber, thank you for um, holding and welcome back. I want to talk about um, Ohio. There's an example um, where you had voters, ordinary people, actually beat back an attempt to strip away uh, their power. This was during the, section, uh, the uh, special elections. This is regarding issue one. Uh, can you talk to those who are not from Ohio and are not familiar with this 
um, because I, I think this shows not just the power of people, the power of ordinary people, the power of voices, the power of education in this program, but the power of a union like USW. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, this this was a, a little bit of a crazy one. Um, it was it was really, really disappointing to see the Ohio legislature, to be honest, make a very, very hypocritical move. Um, so it's for those aren't, who aren't familiar with issue one would have raised the threshold uh, for voters to pass future constitutional amendments to 60 percent. In addition to that, it would have doubled the geographical requirements for signatures. So currently it was at 44. You had to get signatures from 44 of the 88 counties in Ohio. Um, this would have required all 88. Um, it made changes to the culling. And, you know, to be honest, the worst, the, the worst and, and most hypocritical part about this is the legislature previously passed a bill that there would not be August special elections because turnout was so low. And then they came and they put this on the August ballot, counting, counting on <laughs> folks not coming out and voting. You know, so yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was Try, it trying was to push legislation vote. through while they think nobody's looking and think nobody's going to show up to vote for it or against 100 percent, 100 percent. And, you know, um, we took them up on that because uh, our members, you know, we had been talking about this for some time. Actually, um, this issue was was in a bill that they had tried to pass previously. Uh, well, they did pass previously in the year, and we had been talking to our members about it, how important this was. The, the you know, right for for ordinary citizens to sort of check and balance legislatures by, by being able to push back on, on bad policies that get passed had been in Ohio for, I think, like 110 years, and it had always worked. There was no reason to change it. And when people started to understand what this really meant, because we put that education out there, they rejected it, you know, and it, so it's it's a good example of a confusing issue for folks. But when we got out in the communities and in the work sites and explained to people like they are genuinely trying to take your power away. You know, I, I know like some tried to flip this a little bit and it, and it would have impact on on a reproductive rights issue in the state. But it we also tried to make our folks see that the bigger picture here as well to see that, you know, like, look, this could be a right to work law, you know, that gets passed in the state that we would now have a right taken away to, to do a citizen's veto on. So, you know, it's all part of that education. We, we got folks out and we, you know, reminded them to get registered to vote. We talked about deadlines for the special election. We talked about, encouraging folks to get out and early vote to get their neighbors to come out and early vote and their families. So because of that, there was, you know, I believe it was a record turnout for yes, a special election like that. No, no, absolutely. And, you know, thank you, uh, you know, for uh, what you guys have done. And we, you know, we see that pretty much across the board and state by state. Sometimes if you just tell a voter, hey, did you know that they're, they, the politicians, are planning on doing this? And a lot of people will be like, huh? You know, they had never mm-hmm. heard about it because when somebody wants to bury something, especially a politician, whether it's a state level or federal level, uh, they, they can be very successful in doing that unless you have a program like this and unless you have people, voters, uh, doing this. Exactly. And, and look, and that's what we tell our folks. You know, we, when we're out doing trainings and trying to encourage people to do this work, you set it up front just perfectly. You know, a lot of folks, um, unfortunately, try to try to disengage regular people from this process, right? And I always tell folks, look, it, they're already in office. You know, they're they're doing the job. 
Would you go out and toss the keys to your teenager and say, drive across the country without a map? Or do we draw them the map, right? We have to be the ones to tell them what they should be doing on behalf of working people. Because if we're not, some of those suits are going to do it on behalf of a corporation. That's a, that's a very good point. So education, you start with that. Hey, look, you know, here's the map. Uh, but another thing that I like is that you offer workers, the USW, um, as a union, the opportunity to make a difference in the political process, not just by, you know, saying here's here's the blueprint and the landscape to the legislator, but by actually working with the legislator, by saying let's work together to put workers' priorities into action. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so so a good example of this is something that we've been working on the last couple of years, and and that is reminding folks that look, laws and policies come from our ideas too, right? We can. We have the power to get out there and, and share our experiences to shape what things look like. And um, the, the last couple of years, this actually started in New York, and actually by one of our one of our folks who's a servicing staff in the state, and also a veteran, um, was you know at a at a work site, and I think he was there to do a grievance hearing of some kind. And you know, every work site has like a bulletin board where the regular things are hung up there: the EEOC, the number to call OSHA all those different required postings. And as he's looking, he, he said, you know, I thought to myself, there is nothing up here about veterans resources. Mm. And that started to bother him a little bit. And, you know, so we, in our union, we have um, what we call vets of steel committees and we encourage folks in each local union to form their own. So, you know, all the veterans in, in the different locals have a place to um, do some work and so within that, he sat down and we wrote a bill about, you know, making sure that there is a, a required posting for um, employees or employers with 50 or more employees in the work site that talks about different resources that veterans have. Because a lot of times these folks don't even know that they're available. And so we took that bill. We lobbied back. This is actually pre-COVID about a week before the, the country shut down, actually, in in Albany, New York, got the bill introduced, and um, I think about a year later, we got it passed. Mm. And so now we have a steelworker written bill that, you know, our, our Veterans of Steel committees are working diligently to educate legislators all over the country about this. Uh, we got it passed in Louisiana, Maine, and Minnesota this year. You know, we're looking into places like Iowa, Kentucky, North Carolina, Rhode Island, Texas, Ohio, Michigan, anywhere where we can get this passed, we would like to see this. And it's just one more example of, you know, ordinary people who see an issue, who see a problem, being able to, you know, collectively raise their voices and make a difference. So this is one that we've been very, very proud of. And, you know, we're just grateful that our vets uh, in our in our workplaces are stepping up to help with this work. Power of one, right? One man said this uh, of steel committees, by the way, they've been doing this for years, helping veterans. And this legislation requires employers to post official notices of health uh, services available, social services available, other services that are also available to support veterans um, as they build their new lives uh, when they get home um, from service, uh, when they get home from duty, uh, active or otherwise. Passed in New York, Louisiana, Maine, and Minnesota, and like you heard, a number of other states it's being introduced or will be next year. Just incredible. 
Tom Leslie Marshall, we're going to take a break. When we come back, more with Amber Miller, director of the USW's Rapid Response Department. Check out the website during our quick break, usw.org, and go right now to Twitter, which is X, go to Instagram and follow them at Steelworkers. We'll be back with her and you right after this. We're back. How are you doing? Thank you for holding during that break. I hope you went to usw.org to check out the United Steelworkers website or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at Steelworkers. We're with their director of the USW's Rapid Response Department. That's Amber Miller. Amber and I have been talking about the Rapid Response Program. We uh, also talked about the uh, you know USW Veterans of Steel Committees, just some great stories, and we continue. Amber, thank you for holding and welcome back. Um, the USW Rapid Response Program offers a venue uh, for workers uh, to communicate directly uh, with their elected leaders. You know, and that's another thing that I hear, whether it's people that call into this show, people that email me or contact me on one of the social media sites, or if they meet me in person, is they just don't know how to contact. Or one, they don't know that they are able, you know, even though they are the bosses of these elected officials, that they are able to communicate with. They are able to voice a grievance, come up with a suggestion or say, hey, I think that's a bad idea. Don't vote for that. And then and, and then there's not just that they can do it but how to do it. And this rapid response program not only offers a venue for workers to communicate directly with their elected leaders, um, you know, but I, I, I think that, that if for, for me, even as a voter, if somebody says, you know, we're going to help you uh, to do this, and that's what they, the program do does, that's an asset, uh, not just to the program and, and to the, uh, you know, to the workers, you know, as voters, but I think that takes away an element of anxiety or fear for some of them. Would you agree that, you know, putting them directly, you know, in communication with those leaders, with those legislators um, can be part of the battle for people that, you know, may be uncomfortable, uh, you know, with uh, not just pounding the pavement or just, you know, confrontation if they don't have, you know, a way to communicate directly with their elected leaders. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things we work, work really hard to do is to make it easy for folks, you know, to take sort of that stigma out of it that, you know, that these, these folks are so much better than us and, and it's difficult to contact them. It's not, you know, um, we, when we send our pieces out one, you know, like you mentioned before, we give them the education. So they already know what the issue is and they feel comfortable talking about it. And then two, when we ask them to take action, we're very clear about what, what the ask is, right? It's, an, it's a support or a pose. Um, we make the action e- easy. Maybe it's clicking a link and sending an email that's already pre-written so they don't have to like get worried about what they what they need to say there. Um, the phone calls have instructions, you know, and they're and they're linked directly to their legislators. So we try to take all that out. We even tell our folks sometimes, like, look, if you're nervous about calling an office and talking to a live person, call after hours and leave a message because those get listened to as well. They they're heard, they're counted. You know, all those things. So we like you like you said, we want to make that as easy as possible. So we do it in a lot of different ways, you know, whether it's a petition that's being passed around, you know, maybe we do uh, a postcard action where we have folks fill out a postcard and then we go deliver them to an office, you know. And so it's it's a that's those are nice visuals for legislators to see that it's not just one person um, that has reached out, but it's entire work site. Um, so yeah, we that it's really really important to make this as easy as possible and really take that that worry from folks that they that this process is beyond them because it's not. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just you know, one one of the areas that I know the USW and unions definitely were involved in and quite successfully 
and grateful uh, to that is infrastructure and the investment in, in infrastructure and the passage of that legislation. Not only was it a landmark piece of legislation and historic um, to have finally Democrats and Republicans working together on something that benefits their constituents on both sides of the aisle. We all, each and every single person in the United States of America actually benefits in some way, shape or form from this legislation, from specifically the infrastructure uh, package and the infrastructure, the investment in our infrastructure. Um, you know, and that's amazing. And I know that the USW, other unions as well, but that, you know, you guys, um, you know, and this program facilitated members, you know, like you talked about writing thousands of postcards, making thousands of calls to their elected official, but something else that you did, and, and I don't think, you know, people always, you know, look into this as voters, but if something's going to affect you in your job, your livelihood, why not get your bosses or the business owners involved? And you guys did that, right? You joined with employers and had your members, your workers join with their employers to write these letters. Uh, to the administration, uh, explaining what they do, uh, you know, what they make and how it could support a revitalized infrastructure, you know, and all these workers' voices are votes. And, you know, obviously people, both Democrat and Republican listened. Uh, can you speak to that? Because I, I honestly think that's, that's pretty brilliant to say, well, we're not just going to have the workers, but you know what, let's, let's get the employers on board with this. And that's, a, a, you know, another way, uh, quite frankly, to uh, make a company even better having the bosses work with the workers. Exactly, exactly. Look, and you're right, but this is a big campaign that we ran ahead of um, the infrastructure bill. We called it We Supply America because, to be honest, steelworkers across the country from all different sectors supply the, supply the country. Absolutely. Um, so what we did was, yeah, we asked our locals to connect with um, their employers and ask them, what is it that you need from this bill? Is it, you know, a better rail system in and out to bring things? Is it better roads and bridges to get to where you're at? We had one work site that they had a lot of flooding. So they mentioned, yeah, we need some infrastructure down here to help out with that. You know, what is it that you need? And then the really neat part about this is, look, we kept that. We built this sort of supply chain out where we can now see, you know, different USW work sites that are connected to others in a supply chain process. And what we're able to do now but with those letters is actually go to the federal government and say, listen, you know, the bill is passed. Here's what our employers need, right? Here's, here's what they brought forth. What can we get them? So we're actually trying to connect employers with some of this money because we know that when our employers do well, to be honest, that's how we get better contracts, you know? So, uh, yeah, pulling employers in, we do it in all different ways. Sometimes we do that with trade cases that we file. It's really, really important to, to help folks understand that there's a, a, a large stake for everyone in some of this work. But yeah, that was that was a really, a really successful project. And uh, we were so happy with how it turned out and are really excited to see some of the ways that that, that the, the bill is going to come to fruition here with. with yeah, you know, uh, it, one thing is, you know, you can have uh, petitions, right? You can have flyers, you can have postcards, you can have phone calls. But one of the things I love that you guys did is you personalized it. And when you personalize something and you make it relatable, even to the legislator, I think they just pay attention more so because you're not just echoing the sentiments of everybody else. You're not saying the same thing. You know, you guys mm -hmm. spoke out at rallies. Um, there were people telling their stories. And when you put a fit, you know, you have a story that goes with why, you know, this would be beneficial, why it would be helpful, you know, to me as a person, to my family, to my employer, to this community, not just me and my livelihood. 
Um, I think that those uh, stories, obviously, when you just look at the votes that came down, uh, they were able um, to sway legislators out there who 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 may have felt, oh, if I'm a Republican, I work with Democrats, this isn't such a great idea, you know, or even maybe a Democrat in a more conservative community who thought, oh, God, the money, you know, the spending, um, you know, but uh, can, can you speak to that? Because that's one of the things I love about this program. One of the things I love that you guys did is you personalized it. You put faces on these voters. They weren't just signatures on a petition. Right, right. We Yeah, we did. We actually did a little bus tour around this uh, and went into all, all different places uh, and generally in the Midwest um, just because of some logistical things. But reminded folks that, you know, like this money was, was going to come back to their communities and what that meant to their communities and what having a robust supply chain in this country means, um, you know, for our folks and how that impacts everyone, you know. There, there's a work site in Northwest Ohio that I came out of that supplies rod to another steelworker work site in Indiana that supply, supplies valves to uh, another USW work site in Alabama that makes uh, fire hydrants. And there was lots of money that came out of this infrastructure bill on that. And now we've got three different of our, three different work sites, you know, in three different places that are connected by that money. And it's just good for communities, it's good for folks, and it's good for these legislators to understand that these aren't just bills, these have impacts on people, and they need to see those faces, and you are so right, we have to tell those stories. Uh, And I love the fact that the USW is now working, saying, okay, we got everything passed. Are you aware of the funding opportunities made available by the Biden administration's bipartisan infrastructure law? And and you, the USW, um, are actually working with these employers so they can take advantage um, of these investments um, and, and they can actually use it to create more jobs, more good jobs and more union jobs. Can you speak to that before we go to break? Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. We're making sure that they're aware, you know, we're looking back at those letters and and going to these legislators and saying, look, you know, here's what they said they needed. How do we connect them with this funding to make sure that they can get that? And, you know, it's, it's, it's a great project. Honestly, it gives us leverage with the companies as well. You know, when we go to a bargaining table and we sit down across from these folks and we say to them, look, we, we have value, not just in the work that we do and what we make, but we're helping make you successful as well. So, Absolutely. You know, we're going to take a quick break, Amber. We'll be back after this. Sorry to jump in there. Uh, uh, the clock and time I can't control, the control freak that I am, that's something I can't do. Amber Miller, director of the USW's Rapid Response Department. Check out the website at the USW, USW.org, on Twitter and Instagram, or on X and Instagram. The handle, follow them, at Steelworkers, back after this. We're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. She is director of the USW's Rapid Response Program, Amber Miller. Check out the website, usw.org. Follow them on X, formerly Twitter, and Instagram at Steelworkers. Amber, thank you for holding. Welcome back. The hour is flying by. We're in our final segment. Um, And we are talking about the USW's Rapid Response Program. I understand over the summer, you guys had a conference uh, in our nation's capital in Washington, D.C., and workers were able to meet with their elective uh, representatives there. Um, discussing a lot of issues. Uh, Let's talk about some of those issues that are certainly priorities uh, to not just USW union workers, but I think to workers and even just to voters. Um, You know, the first one doesn't apply to people working because it certainly can affect people that are retired or are looking to. And uh, one of the things they discussed was that there would be, because it was a discussion, 
sadly, uh, that there would be no cuts to retirement security, making sure that Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid were not cut during the debt ceiling negotiations. Um, talk to us a, a, about the rapid response conference and putting the uh, USW union workers uh, in touch to have conversations and discuss what their priorities are as voters, as workers to their elected representatives, and, and maybe also touch upon this first one uh, on the list uh, that we'll go through. Sure. Yeah, this this is always an exciting time for us. We had uh, nearly 800 steelworkers um, in our nation's capital in June and actually ended up, you know, among other things, we did some uh, workshops and, and things like that. But there was over 200 meetings up on the Hill uh, with, with folks from all over the country uh, to discuss different issues that, that we thought were relevant and important to bring up to our legislators. A lot of those folks had never lobbied before, you know, so this was a really good experience for them. Uh, it's a conference that we do uh, every year that so we had a little hiatus during the COVID times there, but we were happy to be back. Um, and yeah, one of the issues that we had worked on basically all all spring of last of this year was uh, reminding our legislators that we did not see any kind of or did not want to see any kind of cuts to Social Security, Medicare, or Medicaid um, in the debt ceiling conversations. And even though you know folks kind of came back and said that no, no, we don't have plans for that. We we know better. We know what had been said before. So. We actually had our folks uh, pass resolutions in their locals and then go get signatures from their members in those locals. And we delivered those at the conference. Now, the, the debt ceiling negotiations had just wrapped up, um, I think, the week before our conference. So we did. We still delivered these as a reminder, right? Like, as we're looking forward into policy, understand that our folks are paying attention to this. We know what that means. We know what cuts to those programs could mean for ordinary people. And we're keeping an eye on it. Awesome. Let's talk about tax fairness. Um, there is, and certainly backing for the No Tax Breaks for Union Busting Act. T tell us about this, uh, you know, wh wh what it is, and, and then we, I want to talk about the Tax Fairness for Workers Act as well, but the No Tax Breaks for Union Busting Act. So ironically right now, um, corporations can get a tax break for bringing in you know, anti-union activity is we're trying to organize. So literally they can, you know, deduct the millions of dollars that they use to push back in anti-union uh, campaigns and take it off their taxes. So we, we think that's crazy. Um, business write-offs should be reserved for genuine business activities and not, you know, for interference in workers' elections or collective actions. So this is a bill we thought was very, very important. Uh, and so one we one we lobbied on. Um, the other one is no tax breaks for union busting. Um, this is actually another one. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking. Yeah, you mean the tax? No, no, I know you mean the tax, tax fairness. fairness for I'm, workers, I you. My apologies because I mentioned both. Oh, no, the other fine. is the Tax Fairness for Workers Act, and I'm glad you're going to talk about that because talk about the hypocrisy in our. Look, I got to be full, full disclosure. I'm being audited right now, and if you want a if you want definition of a cluster blank, it's it, mm -hmm. sorry, it's the IRS and it, it, all of it, the taxes, and it's very confusing to people. Um, and um, this is very confusing because you have corporations that can write off union busting as a business expense, yet workers mm -hmm. can't write off a work-related expense like their dues to the union. That's absolutely insane, right? So speak to us about the Tax Fairness for Workers Act. It is insane. And, and look, it was something that we used to have the ability to do until some changes were made um, 
to the tax code in the last administration. So yeah, what we're saying is we should be able to deduct those um, those expenses just the same as you know businesses uh, deduct that. So this is this is a bill that um, that that we're going to continue to push hard for. Um, Brendan Boyle, uh, who's a congressman from Pennsylvania, and uh, Donald Norcris, who's a congressman from New Jersey, introduced. So it's bipartisan. Um, this this is a we feel it's just important, you know, to have people be able to deduct uh, their work boots, you know, if needed, if that's something that comes out of their pocket. You know, we're talking about school teachers who buy a lot of their own stuff, you know, for their classroom that are, aren't able to deduct that. So we, we want to see it reinstated. And so we think it's an important bill for working people. Um, I want you to talk about the PRO Act. I know that's another uh, piece of legislation that workers talk to elected officials about passing. We've talked about the PRO Act here on the program. It it just blows my mind, and I know there are a lot of people out there watching and listening that agree with me that there are employers, there are corporations that can bully and intimidate workers out of forming a union. And, and even though it's illegal, they do it and they get away with it because either there's no enforcement or there's no meaningful penalty against those employers, against those corporations and those companies. So talk to us about uh, the PRO Act. I, um, it, it, it makes my skin crawl that these practices are in place by some of these companies because they say, hey, you know, nobody, nobody's watching or nobody, nobody's enforcing. Yeah, look, I mean, we, we've seen uh, anti-labor legislation continue to roll in since Taft-Hartley, right? So right. this, the PRO Act would be the most significant worker, pro-worker legislation since the NLRA, to be honest. And what the PRO Act would do was, you know, it establishes meaningful penalties against employers who try to bully and intimidate workers out of forming a union. So actual actual penalties and not this kind of slap of the wrist thing that that's happening right now. I mean, workers get fired, even though that's illegal, it takes years to get their jobs back, you know, and, and that process is just unfair and it's not what it was meant to be. Right. It also updates the national labor relations board election process. So we can petition to form a union, you know, workers can do that, get a timely vote without all this interference and delay from that employer tries to, to push in there. And it's, you know, one of the biggest, most frustrating things is we'll we'll get a vote, we'll get a newly organized facility in, and we can't reach a first contract. And, you know, there's there's a time frame for that. And folks get, they get upset, you know, if it takes two, three, four years to get a first contract, we lose folks. And it's very much a strategy that the company has to, you know, like, you know, really disempower them. So they're unable to get it. And then they tend to desert. So this this um, legislation would improve the mediation and arbitration language to ensure that these groups and these facilities can reach a first contract in a timely manner. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it, the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, d- desperately needs to be updated. Uh, I mean, you know, the election process specifically. I mean, you, you spoke to it, right? When workers petition to form a union, they don't get a vote that is timely. Um, employers use uh, the fact there's no update on the selection process with the NLRB to interfere and to create more delays. And that's exactly what they want because they don't want the worker to get a vote and they don't want the worker to get a, a timely vote. Um, 
it, it, it also, because you talked about the contract, first contract, um, it also improves mediation and arbitration language so that the newly organized facilities actually can reach a first contract. Uh, right. So right now, employers um, totally benefit for the lack of updating in this election um, you know, process. Uh, why do you think it's taken so long? Uh, you know, is, is it just because, uh, you know, sadly, Washington is, has been more corporate friendly than worker friendly? Um, the National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, should totally be a nonpartisan organization um, because there are employers, CEOs, workers that vote from both sides of the aisle. So wh- why do you think it's taken it's taking so long to get um, these updates, especially to the election process with the NLRB? Well, you know, I think the PRO Act is something to look, ordinary folks who who are out there working or in non-union environments, they don't hear about this stuff. You know, the PRO Act is not something that's been covered on the news. You don't see that. It's not a sexy thing that that gets a lot of ratings. So if if we're not the ones talking about it and really beating the drum on it, um, it's not going to get a lot of traction. So that's what we've been doing. We're also very keen and aware that, you know, there are pieces of the PRO Act. If we can't get the full bill passed, we'll break it apart and insert it into other places, right? We'll find whatever vehicle is needed to do that. Um, It's passed uh, in in two different legislative sessions in different chambers with bipartisan support. You know, sometimes things take time and we're not giving up on it. Yeah, and I'm glad you're not. That's what you guys do. You're tenacious and you don't give up. Amber, thank you for joining us. Amber Miller, director of the USW's Rapid Response Department. You want to know more about them? You want to know more about the USW? Go to their website, usw.org. Follow them on Instagram at Steelworkers. Follow them on Twitter, now X, at Steelworkers. I'm Leslie Marshall. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And thank you again to director of the USW's Rapid Response Response Department, Amber Miller.